Welcome to the Notion Club podcast. I'm Justin Hall, and joining me is Ian Duncan. Today, we're talking about a Notion Club staple, a subject that we have often discussed in the past, and one which we will certainly return to again and again. We are talking about journaling, which takes such a significant place in our conversations because journaling takes a significant place in our lives. It's significant simply because we have come to understand that our lives are themselves, in some sense, a journal acted out. In other words, our lives are a story, with a beginning, middle, and end, with subplots and characters, with mysteries and romances and wars and deaths and tragedies and happy endings. Life is story. And the best way to realize this reality is simply to take up a pen and a notebook and tell your story. In today's episode, Ian and I will read several entries from our own past journals, some of them humorous, some more somber contemplations, but all of them demonstrating the multicolored vibrancy of the drama, which is life. This is episode three of season two of The Notion Club. We're talking today about journaling even though it's a subject we covered once last season, this is going to be a recurring thing that we talk about just because there's so much to it and there's so much to say. And it really is such an important part of our lives, not just as writers, but as people who are day to day trying to figure out life and mm -hmm. also just people who want to remember better than we can by looking through the pictures on our iPhones what happened last month, last year. Mm -hmm. I have a challenge I like to ask people, and I'll just pick a random year, like, what did you do in 2015? And usually, you know, if it's been more than a year or two, you get kind of a blank look, like, well, I have no idea. Well, I can actually look through my journals and remember. Mm -hmm. I probably couldn't tell you off the top of my head, but it's amazing to have a book that you can look through and suddenly relive moments from years ago that honest let's be honest our memories are just not capable of holding on to everything we'd like to hold on to it's so much more than just a photographic type memory i think so much of what we've settled for in terms of memory has been led by the current technology you know film you know which is something that's really advanced just in my lifetime in terms of what you can have at home we've gone from you know shoulder mounted film cameras when i was a kid to everybody's carrying a video camera in their pocket with incredible resolution and, and capabilities but it's mostly visual you know it's it's pictures it's film but a journal is so much more three-dimensional and one of my writing professors likes to talk about how writing the scenes that get into your head from a book are actually more visceral, more impacting, and, and can be even more disturbing than mm -hmm. scenes you saw in a movie. Yep. There's more of the senses engaged, and I think that's the sense that I get when I look back at my old journal and all of it comes rushing back. Well, I mean, it, it's a misunderstanding of memory itself to think that photos or videos are a sufficient mm -hmm. form of, of memory, because 
because those are inaccurate preservations of mm. of life and the closest you can get to real preservation is in the word the meaning of what happened and you can engage all the senses mm-hmm. in a way that photos can only really engage one that might be a starting point but i don't think it has that same effect so we both have kind of a long history with journaling and we both started fairly young haven't been journaling continuously ever since then but we did both get a taste of it fairly young mm-hmm. i think it's maybe helpful to distinguish between the different types of journaling that are popular today and to describe sort of what we both do which is i would say more of a narrative style rather than what's currently in vogue or recently popular has been bullet journaling where mm-hmm. you just sort of have a it's really more like scrapbooking i, I would say or you have bullet points or you just jot down events or t- sort of like a timeline i'm really not an expert on what <laughs> bullet journaling is yeah it's very pinteresty i think mm-hmm. that's the most derogatory use of pinterest <laughs> i've ever heard <laughs> Yeah, well, we're we're hearkening back to a narrative style that I think is more reminiscent of classic journaling in the 19th century or, or something of that nature. Like it's almost like letter writing, and and I guess that brings it to the question of one of the critical things about the way we journal is who is this addressed to? Right. Yeah. Who would you say your journal is addressed to? Well, I think different entries have a different audience. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I can't know for sure who's going to be reading. Dear Big Brother. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's actually probably the only form that's safe <laughs> from Big Brother. I know, right? right? How, we don't even need to make an argument for the value of an analog journal this week because yep. nobody yeah. can censor it. Yeah, no one short can. of yeah. throwing it into a fire, which right. may happen. <laughs> good, good old-fashioned censorship. Yeah, it is. It's refreshing to be offline, especially mm-hmm. at a time like this, and to have something concrete that can't be edited, blocked. Yeah, I never opened my journal and found a little dialogue bubble that said, <laughs> "This is disputed information." <laughs> This this has been proven false by fact checkers. Yeah, I think going through my previous journal, which actually I didn't finish, I signed off before finishing. I can we can talk about that a bit more later. But I was noticing that each entry has a very distinct voice. Hmm. And um, you say it varies. It varies. Yeah, okay. it's it's very different. Sometimes I'm writing to the journal itself which is almost writing for the sake of writing. Mm-hmm. Often that means I'm writing about journaling itself, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I have a couple of pieces about journaling in my journal. Practicing the discipline and seeing mm-hmm. what happens on the written page. Yeah. That's great. Some are more elegiac, mm-hmm. trying to capture the sensation of a memory. Yeah. Another entry I found, which I I could read, is theological musing. Mm -hmm. I think on Hebrews, I didn't actually put the reference, but I think it was Hebrews 12. So it's sort of like the general essay style of, you know, this is directed towards a general audience. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I I think what I find fascinating about my journals is that I have a very broad range of voices that I Mm -hmm. write in. Maybe that's almost experimental. Definitely, the journal can serve as being experimental. You know, I have a very particular kind of narrative voice if i'm telling a story moment by moment especially if it's deeply embedded in action and then there's a more kind of literary style that's Mm -hmm. almost satirical and which i think characterizes the piece i'm going to read about journaling usually that takes a moment just a banal Uh everyday kind of experience and then exaggerates it to the point of humor. And I notice in that voice, I use very long sentences, Mm -hmm. um, almost just drawing out Mm -hmm. as 
much absurdity from one sentence as you can get. That's a very easy way I can find a satirical voice. Because if you have very short sentences, then it becomes minimalist and mm -hmm. almost somber in its tone. So my each entry has a very broad range of styles and and I also write poem whenever I write a new poem I'll put it in as an entry so it's interesting I, I came across one of my old journals I actually the oldest journal that I have intact um, from the Dead Sea Scroll caves uh, no. <laughs> it actually um, when I was 12 and here's the very first paragraph January 15th 1990 actually hello today is January 15th it is also my birthday and I'm 12 years old. This August, I will have spent six years in Texas and Virginia, the last six years having been in Texas. Today is also, however, the deadline for Saddam Hussein to pull out of Kuwait. <laughs> Too bad my birthday has to be the deadline for a political disaster. I think there will be a war. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of funny. I, I read through this this morning. The whole what what I filled out about a third of the journal. I read through it all this morning, and Saddam Hussein makes a number of surprising guest appearances, which was really sort of the nature of the first Gulf War. Mm -hmm. We you know we had a war in our living rooms. I think for the first time mm -hmm. that you know journalists embedded with armored units rushing into Kuwait and all this kind of stuff. It was just a random part of our lives. It, it, and it just crops up in these hilarious ways. Like, today we clipped all of Captain's toenails, that was my German Shepherd, prompting him with an all-time record of seven dog biscuits. Today, the UN kept bombing Iraq. <laughs> Later, Hussein fired eight missiles on Israel. Israel may attack Iraq. I'm still reading The Sheriff at Waterstop. <laughs> Art class tomorrow. It is 8.42. Good night. <laughs> so, yes, Saddam Hussein was a member of our household, it would seem. This is another one where I uh, also have a running tally of whether or not I got to play Nintendo on any given day because it was mm. a controlled substance in our <laughs> household. I didn't get to play Nintendo today. I have to do two sit-ups for every minute of Nintendo. I'm hoping to have a friend over tomorrow and we can play then. I did, however, do a record of 200 sit-ups. <laughs> I think I was storing up time, <laughs> storing up time to play. I really was sort of like a Napoleon Dynamite before there was Napoleon Dynamite. I'm sure if this journal had come to light, I could have inspired that. I was also a stamp collector because mm. you can't get nerdier than collecting stamps. So I have things like, we bought Captain a new bone and some doggy treats. Then we went to the post office and bought six of the new commemorative stamps of Vermont. Mm. Four of them were a plate block. <laughs> <laughs> and my favorite probably the best is my description of running which remains true of how i feel about running to this day it says i'm trying to lose this little stomach i'm growing still true to this day i did the nordic track do you remember that torture device from the 90s called a nordic track uh, yeah it, it was real uh we also went to the track i did about four or five laps I tried to run a real fast lap. It felt horrible. My legs already hurt from riding around the lake. I ran about four-fifths of the way around in one minute, 30 seconds, but soon my throat began throbbing, and it was real hard to breathe. <laughs> just, just very accurate descriptions. I said, uh, 
ever bone in my body is screaming. That was <laughs> that was the uh, overall takeaway from exercise. It took decades to overcome that uh, initial impression, apparently. So yeah, even if you're afraid that someday the world will find out that you are a chubby stamp collector, <laughs> the, the moral of the story is it's worth leaving behind that record. It really is. For the, for the laughs, if anything else. The thing that struck me was just the playfulness. Of, I mean, a goofy level of mm. playfulness. I mm. mean, I'm drawing pictures of dinosaurs and turtles and jet planes and trying to do weird things with the font, you know, changing, building block letters, you know, all this is by hand. But it, it's still, you know, even though I, I don't really do that now, you made, I don't, you don't doodle in your journal, do you? So no. Even though you're a far greater artist than I will ever be. But you separate. You've kept that separate. Mm -hmm. But it's still, I think, even if you're limited to strictly prose in a journal, it's still a place for your mind to sort of play. And mm -hmm. I think that's what you're getting at with yep. you trying these different voices. Mm -hmm. It's a playground. It's a proving ground for different. You know how many of our pieces that we've written or books have started, right? Except for my novels, everything has started in my journal, mm -hmm. one way or another, whether I realized it or not, or just oh, that was an interesting sort of voice in uh, my want to explore that further well i think part of that is just the need for a confidant you know mm -hmm. and yeah. i think a journal can serve as that mm -hmm. it is almost the one place i can go to say anything you yeah know? didn't hemingway say that about his typewriter better than a therapist or something oh. the only, th <laughs> only therapist he'd ever submit to or something like that mm -hmm. yeah how often do you find yourself writing a journal entry and being surprised by where it goes you know sort of mm -hmm. not knowing when you sat down i think that's sort of the nature of therapy right i think that you have to learn to allow yourself to do that because mm -hmm. I, I think if you sit down in front of a blank page whether it's a journal mm -hmm. page or a blinking cursor yeah. on the computer which can be one of the most intimidating things <laughs> yeah Blink. i think for anybody to fear messing up or not mm -hmm. saying the right thing especially if it's a leather-bound journal absolutely know, desecrating this perfect page with right I think getting over that, that's one of the most freeing things that a journal can offer you is yeah. to be imperfect and just follow wherever it leads. Yeah, I think that's a skill that we've sort of lost in this century or maybe in the last one, just the ability to, to move your hand across a page and writing while thinking. Mm-hmm and to sort of see where it goes. It's just a certain skill, and I think people practiced it so much more because they wrote letters by hand, they wrote all sorts of correspondence, mm -hmm. and then they, a lot of them journaled. And getting used to that, thinking and writing, allows you to sort of get in there without composition planned out in advance, at least not usually. Yeah, that's actually, that freedom is what I lost in my previous journal. I just switched journals recently. Mm -hmm. And I switched because for many reasons it had become a stifling experience trying to journal in my old journal. Are, for, you, are you admitting that you got kicked out of your own journal? <laughs> I got kicked out of my own journal. I, I only got halfway through the actual is this, book. Is this the journal right here, this Epica journal? That yeah. is a really nice journal to get. That's like getting thrown out of a three-star <laughs> restaurant or something. Well, I plan to return to it someday okay. once I can you're free better, myself. You're a better man. So I can, I'll read, by contrast, the last entry of this journal in which I sign off and actually sign my name <laughs> and then um the first entry of my new journal gotcha the styles are drastically different so we're even... looking for contrast here contrast All definitely right. and <laughs> even though i wrote them back to back interesting and as i explain here part of what happened is i had become so inconsistent and the accumulation of entries that i hadn't written and all mm -hmm. the i mean most of the previous year that i hadn't journaled about 
was kind of a weight. Like whenever yeah, I sat down, I felt burden. Right. We I talked felt... about this in the first <laughs> the first season about just freeing yourself from the mm-hmm. obligation to. Well, it seemed like I had an obligation to write, and I think I do, and I right. will. But without without the freedom to write about those from the right voice, the obligation not... of the biographer. Right. I think yeah. that's what we would, we would call it. Yeah. yeah. So this is an excerpt from the very last part of the last entry in this journal. It's time to start afresh from the vantage of a book unfilled and untied to a past demanding explanation. From that vantage, I may indeed be able to gaze back in memory and offer some meditation on the lost history of my past year. But so long as I am a debtor to my past, this volume will only be my debtor's prison. Writing sentences, however, must ever be an act of freedom, if one has any hope of finding in them truth and beauty. So consider this symbolic gesture, which, it should be noted, will be puzzling to any non-poet. Not an abandonment of this volume, which is and has been most loyal, nor even an insult, but rather consider this symbolic gesture of this remove, the greatest compliment I could offer to its memory. So this is the the next entry in my new journal, which was January 2nd of this year. Which is year. thinner, less expensive, yeah. and less intimidating, <laughs> yeah. right? But still very nice. Marbled end pages, leather cover. It's nice. It's not, it's not an epica. <laughs> no. it's, it's sort of like going from a uh, five-star restaurant to the comfortable, the comfortable chain restaurant. <laughs> I'm coming to this journal after many months of not journaling and many years of inconsistent journaling. Journaling is certainly a discipline, but it is also certainly a pleasure, or ought to be a pleasure done rightly. But it has not been a pleasure in recent seasons, but rather an obligation which, for that very reason, was postponed and put off until it became wholly inexistent. The pleasures of a journal are also those very things that give it life and spark. When those pleasures are absent, the drudgery of it seems to render life a series of drudgeries, which I am then recording out of that same dull obligation and non-choice, apparently, as living each drudgerous day. The pleasure's gone, every little inconvenience of journaling becomes a pain, which makes the entire practice a masochistic exercise. The fact that, for example, my old journal could not open flat but had to be splayed open by the pressure of my hand, like holding open a door, while my other hand attempted to pin lines of drudgery, and those lines of drudgery were like lines of people unendingly pouring through the door, the way you often get stranded at the post of doorman, when you attempt to politely and perhaps even happily hold open the door for some strange soul who happens to be following just behind you, while you are wholly unwitting of the fact that, in actuality, there are three dozen strangers following behind you. And so there you are, the door propped open while it is likely freezing and wind gusting outside, and the series of three dozen thank yous become increasingly sarcastic and mocking, or so you imagine, until you are determined near to the point of some religious vow of abstinence that you will never, never again hold open the door for any single poor wayfaring, perhaps even hell-destined soul ever again. Until, of course, you find yourself once upon a time 
before a door, and that impulse of politeness, like some primordial urge, and that one seemingly single soul following behind you, and then the drudgery begins all over once again. That is what journaling had come to seem. And then there was the fact that it was lineless, blank pages, like every other one of my previous journals, which meant that every line of drudgery was not merely a line of drudgery, but a skewed, warping, disfigured line of drudgery, until every paragraph was some horrible mess, like a bag of Scrabble letters dumped onto a table. Not only, therefore, was it a physical inconvenience, if not a pain, to journal, and not only was it drudgery, it was also aesthetically depressing. So I now have a journal that both lays flat and has lined pages, and already the comparative ease of writing in this volume seems to me, at the very least, to be a promising sign. Even if my handwriting is here careless and perhaps at times illegible, and these pages are riddled with my scribbles and edits and eccentricities, at least the whole experience is greatly improved by those two facts alone, and, more to the point, at least I'm journaling now at all. Nice. I didn't realize you had converted to ruled pages. That we should have had a, pa- a party of some kind. The ruled, welcome to the welcome to the ruled pages side. The world of the ruled. I've been waiting for you. It's uh, it's quite nice over here. Subjecting myself to to at least some structure. Yeah, yeah, it's great. I, yeah. I admitted that a long time ago. That's <laughs> our first couple of journals, and it was always like that swerve at the end of the line. It makes it look like you were on a on the deck of a pitching ship while riding or something like that. Yeah, yep. I just have to admit that the little the ruling is nice. Mm-hmm. And Lamont, although I'm not going to endorse everything that she's said <laughs> or done, but she she does have some good pieces about the psychology of journaling and, and putting your journal in its place and getting comfortable with a journal just so that you can get over the intimidation. I just know that so many people get these things for birthday gifts. It's, it's why you find these journals at yard sales with like two or three pages filled out and the rest blank because mm-hmm. people have these this burden and it's not fun anymore and it just doesn't happen. You know, there's enough obligation and burden in life. This ought to be a relief, a place where you come and just journal with what time you have. And the more more life that slips through my fingers, the more I realize I'm not I'm not capturing this thing. I'm not mm-hmm. my own biographer. And that shouldn't be the obligation of a journal. It's just this is for my benefit. And and I think to some extent, now that I have kids, and even before I had kids, I had a, an awareness that I was writing this for someone that was going to come after me, mm-hmm. maybe to even pass judgment on my life in some sense. Probably because it started, I was inspired by my great-grandfather's, it wasn't really a journal, it was it was just a collection of loose pages, maybe 18, 20 pages of an autobiography that he wrote. I think it was maybe even for a job application, almost like the, the package for the application application that they wanted a brief history of his life which mm-hmm. yeah go figure but I, re- I have that and and it created this longing in me for more i just wish that i knew more of what he thought you know i had some of the letters that he wrote back from world war one sitting in a tent in france all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff but i didn't it just whetted my appetite and i wish i had a, a journal just chock full of entries of what he thought about this and how he felt and what it was like, you know, courting my great grandmother and the difficulties and the day by day, you know, what I wouldn't give for that, mm-hmm. you know, now. 
And so when I first sat down to journal, it was uh, with that in mind, like, okay, that's what I know in principle I, I ought to leave behind, even mm -hmm. if I don't have an, any kind of exceptional life. And so I think that's always informed my sense of who I'm writing to, like, writing to the people that come after me with some kind of awareness of that I, I lived and I was a person and here's what I experienced. And now that I have kids, it can be more them, but it's not, it's still not exactly just my kids. You know, it's, mm -hmm. there's that sense of future accountability, you know, like whoever picks up my story and looks at it later, if anyone does, that's, that's who I'm writing to. And of course, you know, it's also for me because I'm coming back and, and looking at it and using it as a sort of a junkyard of ideas where I can come back and pick that up and maybe take that part and develop that into an essay or a piece on this or that or a book or memoir or whatever. Mm. Yeah, I, I had a realization about both of our practices of journaling recently, partly thinking about why it's so difficult for me to journal consistently. Mm-hmm. I think part of it is just the seasons of life we're in. Mm -hmm. So much of your entries are finding yourself in the present moment, right. observing your kids right. doing fun stuff around the house or hilarious anecdotes or something. Right. And right now I'm so future focused right. that it's hard to, I guess, observe the present in the vivid way that is necessary for consistent entries, you know? And I mean, part of journaling is as soon as I realized that and I, I started thinking about making more present entries. I, I mean, I started actually perceiving the world more presently and being mm. more present in the moment. Yeah. And I, I think it's just understanding where you are in your season of life. There's only such an extent I can write about the future. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I and would potential and non-existence. I remember that and being almost tired of my own self and wanting to, when I did sit down to journal, sometimes I would write about philosophical essays in my journal because mm -hmm. I was sick and tired of my own pathetic <laughs> longings for some future <laughs> that wasn't yet realized, you know, but what mm -hmm. my encouragement to my old self would be don't get tired of your own longings. Stay with it. Stay with expressing those things because someday it is going to be really valuable to mm -hmm. remember. Mm -hmm. And what I tend to find when I look at those old journals and I come to philosophical essays, it's like I have almost zero interest in what I thought about philosophy or abstract ideas back then. It's <laughs> like, yeah, whatever. What, what did I do that day? Mm -hmm. What Anything. Just give me one memory, like the sandwich you ate for lunch or something, because that's what really is valuable in mm -hmm. the futures but it's hard and it's uh there seems to be when you're in that moment you experience what you think is a shortage of material because it's almost like an inward focus that can be like an introspection that can be really exhausting mm -hmm. how do you feel about your life today what are you looking forward to what do you hope will happen you're on this journey where do you think's over the next hill that sort of thing but it's re is really important, like you were saying, to include the present moment for the sake of remembering in the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mentioning being in the present. I actually wrote this entry earlier, and I sat down at my desk. I have to kind of give a little bit of background. We live on a property with my parents, and they, they live in the house up the hill. We live in the house down the hill, and, and we kind of take care of each other on, on part of the old farm. And so since I have three wild children, I'll go up there during the day, especially in the wintertime is sort of my writing season. So I'll be up there working on homework, and I'll go up into one of the rooms in my parents' house. I've just started using it as an office. Hmm. So I was up there and this is the entry that I started and, and this pretty much just tells the story of how crazy <laughs> life can be. 
I'm taking a minute to write here in the midst of a busy day, or what passes for a busy day in winter, since I have not actually worked since before Christmas. I should be working on a screenplay, the first twelve pages of which are due tomorrow. Instead, I am attempting to practice what I preach, since Justin and I are recording a podcast episode about journaling in a couple of hours. Some place in that last sentence, I believe it was just after the J-U in Justin, <laughs> I dropped my pen and hurried down to the house to help Allison, who had sent me the ominous text, quote, I need your help with something down here, please, end quote. The last time I received such a text, I found Treva's hair wound around the beaters of the mixer. <laughs> This time, the oven door had fallen apart while Allison was attempting a deep clean of the sort that involved a screwdriver. Various panels and sheets of glass had sprang apart as though spring-loaded, and indeed they were. Allison was in the unfortunate position, literally, of sitting cross-legged under the door while behind her Ransom was crying as though, well as though his mother was pinned under the door of a whirlpool range, <laughs> and indeed she was. <laughs> so just when I thought I was going to write in my journal, I was instead trying to extricate my wife from a Jenga block-style booby trap of glass and steel, which unfortunately resulted in an explosion of safety glass, much like something I would have included in one of the Cordyceps thrillers, perhaps at the exact moment that a 9mm round shattered the window of a car and passed through the brain of a cord zombie. <laughs> Once we got all the shards cleaned up and the remains of the door duct-taped together enough to close, I returned here to do something I couldn't have imagined even 30 minutes ago when I began this entry, namely Google-searching quote, Whirlpool WFC310S0AS0. <laughs> this is the disruptive nature of life, random, chaotic. It will either become a strange and unpredictable part of your journaling or else it will end it all together. One of my friends, Dakota, was telling me how he was sitting on the curb outside the auto repair shop recently writing in his journal. The detail was incidental to a larger story, but it captures exactly the spirit of journaling, which should be seen as an adventure notebook rather than a thing of static, pristine compositions. It is a book of hours. Seize it and record something, even a part of something from the day. No one criticizes an artist for drawing only a hand or an eye. They say he's making a study. Make journaling a study, then. Write one sentence. Write it again. Give me anecdotes, dialogue, vignettes, fragments, character sketches. Give me stories. Give me catastrophes, disappointments, proclamations, exultations. Give me life, however it comes to you. <laughs> That's awesome. So I have a lot more interrupted journal entries than I used to. I used to sit down at the coffee shop with a pot of Russian tea and mm -hmm. complete these perfectly balanced compositions that began with a theme and ended with the resolution of the theme. <laughs> and now I have I have to come back to journal entries where I've dropped my pen and, and run off and tried to remember what I was thinking later. Yeah. 
This is another really short one from the day after Thanksgiving when we went to go get a Christmas tree. And this is about my kids, which a lot of, a lot of journal entries now are about my kids and things I want to remember. The one memory I want to be sure not to forget about today is Finn walking around singing the Jackson 5 version of Santa Claus is Coming to Town, executing the Santa Claus in a high falsetto again and again, and Treva asking on the way to the Christmas tree farm if Michael Jackson was real, and Allison starting down that slippery slope as confidently as any Olympic downhill skier, assuring Treva that he had been a real person, but was dead now. And then Treva, following up with the theologically preposterous question of whether or not Michael Jackson was in heaven, and proceeding to inform the kids, while holiday music played cheerfully from the speakers, that Michael Jackson was unfortunately, but almost certainly, in hell. <laughs> so yeah, I've, I've learned to be satisfied with much shorter vignettes and just sketches of things, pieces, fragments, just grab it, write, write what's happening right now. There's so much that's that falls between the cracks, but you don't focus on that. Yeah, my my entries also range from the very humorous, like that anecdote, almost sarcastic in its voice, you mm -hmm. know, to vignettes. Mm -hmm. I sometimes have entries that are just a sentence long, saying so and so happened, and yeah, and then I have contemplative musings, mm -hmm. sometimes philosophical, sometimes theological. Mm -hmm. um, I'll read this one. I think, if I remember correctly, I was reading Hebrews 12. Mm -hmm. I think there were a few verses that sparked this entry. Nice. I was sitting in a coffee shop in Cleveland. They had these huge glass windows and wooden tables, and so I would always snag a wooden table by one of the windows and write in the morning light before church. Lighting is very important. Yeah. Lighting is another thing you can be a snob about. <laughs> I used to have a table in a coffee shop. I had to get the one under the skylight for the natural lighting. The natural. I, would, I would hover <laughs> at other tables waiting to jump on that one the minute people left. And it was just all very critical. So this is not the full entry, but the very last excerpt of it. Christ himself gives us ultimate consolation in this travail, the travail of our being. He who was perfect and sufficient in nothing was also forsaken by the divine, and not just in disregard, but in the fury of divine contempt. And so he was cast into that solitude and darkness of unfavor. It is not by some quality in ourselves that may win favor with God, but he can only grant it as a gift now and forever undeserved, for insufficiency is the condition of our being. And if he does not grant it, we have no argument, it is well. But here we will prove to ourselves the truth of whom our hearts belong, if we are a child of the Heavenly Father, or rather like Grendel, the far-flung spawn of Cain. For Cain, the real test was not in an offering of fruit, but in divine rejection. For, quote, the Lord had no regard for Cain, unquote, and thus turned away for his insufficiency, Cain becomes nihilistic, and his face falls into bitterness. And God says, If you do well, will you not be accepted? 
and surely this doing well refers not to the preceding offering as such, but Cain's response to the unfavor of the divine, which means confronting the true condition of his being and reconciling himself once for all to his devastating unworth. We know how he responded. He refused to accept the reality of his being and sought a more ambitious sacrifice, his brother, which he made not even for the Lord, but to the emptiness of his own soul. He could have been a true child, not despite his insufficient being, but by his very acknowledgement of it. Instead, he embraces his unworth in diabolical irony, saying, in essence, I'm not good enough to even gather fruit. Obviously, I'm not good enough to be my brother's keeper. I'm insufficient for any responsibility, so why bother me? Cain becomes a wanderer and fugitive with no home because he killed the brother to whom his home was bound. Christ provides ultimate consolation because he was forsaken despite his overflowing worth. The blood he spilt was his own, and it speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. For when Christ cries, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cries for us all. I think the thing that strikes me is just the freedom that you have within the pages of your journal mm -hmm. to use it for anything. And it's just the blank page is very exciting. You know, it's, it's potential, mm -hmm. it's, it's catharsis, it's unimagined consequences or destinations where you'll, who you'll be when you finish a single page, much less the entire journal yeah. and just the, the freedom that it gives to roam and play and think and become yeah, if I if I remember writing that one, I, I mean, I didn't have a series of logic. I was just mm -hmm. following the sentences almost for the fun of writing the sentences themselves. Right. And, and that's that's that letting go mm -hmm. and starting to learn to free associate. That's so important not to let the critic in your in your the back of your mind mm -hmm. squelch your creativity, but just letting the and there's something about knowing this is obviously a, a rough. Everything we write in this journal is a rough draft. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> I have to resist the urge to go back and cross out and start editing and. Right. Yeah. things because it, it's it's a rough draft you know if you mm -hmm. want to you can come back later and type it up polish it up and change things but there's just that freedom to just let it go on on the page and see what happens and learning to do that and just the unerasable nature of it you can't mm -hmm. just like backspace backspace a whole you know delete a whole paragraph that's stupid you know it just forces you to just keep going just keep putting it on the page Annie Dillard talks about that a lot. And, you know, as, as a writing instructor, you know, she would talk about the importance of just filling notebook after notebook with just rubbish, trash, and, and just complete and utter nonsense because that's what you do. You just keep writing and you've got to get through all that to get to the good stuff. Mm -hmm. you know? Here's one from probably four or five years ago called Thoughts from an Overlook. Sometimes I title my entries yeah. um, if I have a theme or premise in mind, and then I explore that theme through the entry. At a stop on the parkway, I walked to an overlook from the parking lot nearby and stood looking behind the wooden fence over the stumps of once oak trees hewn to attract tourists to the view of the city that was false in its convenience and ideality. There were many tourists there, and I suppose I was a tourist among them, but it seemed there was a kind of touristy naivete about them, consumers who were there to accept another fabricated product for their easy consumption, to consume rather than understand. 
The view was nice, of course. It was designed and manufactured to be nice. It was more the approach to the view than the view itself, which is, by definition, a kind of negation, the absence of stuff in the way. It was the approach of the overlookers to the overlook. Most viewed it through their phone cameras, squinting and trying to shade out the glare with their hands over the glass. Then they spent the rest of the time with their backs to the overlook, trying to snap selfies in the most flattering way possible to prove in their real world that they had been there and seen that. Several refused to step within 20 feet of the edge, all saying an oddly verbatim, I can see it all right from over here, as if the fact that they could see it all right from over there was the reason they went no further in order to save energy even though, having gone no further, they couldn't possibly know what the view in its entirety offered. To their credit, any closer would make little difference to their selfies, although one did tremblingly dare to step to the edge in order to get in on a group selfie with her friends, backs to the view, never even one glance out to see whether the view really was no better up close. Obviously, none of them had ever worked for a view in their lives. One little boy, though, no older than five, was almost naively fearless, went running up to the fence and jumped up on top of it in complete wonder at the overlook, shrieking in a kind of half-laugh, Look, Mom, you can see the whole wide world! After his mom had yanked him off and set him down at a distance, she had been distracted taking a selfie, and after she had scolded him entirely ineffectively, and after he had protested, but no, mom, you can see the whole wide world. She laughed at him in scoff at his cutesy nescience, but she never realized just how right he was in his own way, or the folly of her own naivete and blindness to the true reality at hand. Hmm. Yeah, I think sometimes journaling can be the completion of perception Sort of like C.S. Lewis said, you know, praise is the completion of enjoyment. I think mm. a lot of times for us, you know, going out and, and seeing something, witnessing something, thinking about it, and then the journaling is the thing that is the catharsis that's sort of almost like what your brain does while you sleep. You know, it sort of cements new neural pathways and things are organized and put into place. Maybe maybe that's a, a good way of thinking of it. it. Because I have that sense that when I'm done journaling about it, I can sort of move on. It's mm -hmm. like it's been, it's done, it's cemented in my memory, and it's complete. I have a little something that I wrote in my journal about a picture that my son colored during church. Well, I'd sort of make a segue to current events, so it's sort of essay-ish. Finn colored a picture in church today that nearly undid my attention from the sermon. Adam and Eve being driven from the Garden of Eden, their faces downcast and their shoulders already bearing, it seemed, the weight of generations of sin. Their animal skins fit awkwardly like furry Roman togas. Apparently God wasn't much of a tailor. But it was Finn's choice of color for the sky behind them that unnerved me. Above and around the lush green trees of Eden, in the distance he lay line after line of jet-black ink, the color of the sky in Texas, impending some tornado-spawning storm when I was a child. Even the sun in the corner of the picture was nearly smothered by the darkness and persisted only in the tent like confines of the light that managed to escape it. 
This was the sermon in a single image, the destruction wrought upon that beautiful place because of the lies and because we believed them. Wrath descending, driving us along, and every storm since then an apt reminder of that judgment. Yesterday in the Capitol there were skirmishes between Trump supporters and counter-protesters, BLM activists, anarchists, and lunatics of every flavor. One man was stabbed, officers were injured, guns were confiscated, ten arrested, fireworks thrown into crowds, shoving, cursing, chanting profane slogans, shoving and sucker punches and noses bloodied, combatants bloodied and staggering while good Samaritans attempted to stand them upright and faith healers laid hands on their bleeding scalps and police yelled for the crowd to give them space. Scenes like these have become the virtual backdrop of our lives this year, and no one can reckon what it is doing to us, even to those of us who so far have only watched and marveled and shook our heads. So we're making our plug again for the value of journaling. Probably something we'll do in every season. So get used to it and start journaling <laughs> because that way you can come on board. Every journal entry we lay out affirms the power of the written word, affirms the value of remembering and the effort necessary to remember and the value of, of learning to tell our own story. And coming to acknowledge your life as worth being permanently recorded. Yeah, allowing that to rub off on the way you view your your own story living it day by day yeah and getting over ourselves and the inevitable imperfections mm -hmm. of the record that we'll leave behind and being humble enough to let it stand for what it is welcoming the scrutiny of the future upon the past oddly as much as our culture will deny it it's that scrutiny that remembers our imperfections that affirms our humanness right certainly if you haven't already given up on some sort of intervening technology grab yourself a good old-fashioned analog journal and start writing make it your adventure book <laughs> not your biography not the record of your awesomeness but just the indiana jones style adventure book tell us where the treasure's buried tell us what you did today make it interesting for those who come after you and have fun with it mm -hmm.